Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. Well, good morning. I am here, and it was fun getting here. So I'm from Seattle. A little quick bio. Been married, I said, 33 years recently at a holiday Christmas party, and my wife corrected me. She says it's 34 years. One thing you don't want to goof is how many years you've been married. (laughs) 34 years of marriage, and... I have two sons. I have an eighth grader who's, you know, survive, you know, junior high. We're doing that right now. Um, and I have a senior in high school. And, but I was got on the plane, Seattle. You know, it was a little rainy last night. Surprise. And we're on the plane, and the pilot comes on. It's one of those classic kind of, could have been a movie. He said the light came on. And he said, when this light comes on, we don't fly. Oh, <laughs> but we're flying. <laughs> and so we're back to Seattle. And after, I think, two hours of waiting on the plane, they call a list of names. I'm on the list to get to D-plane. And they book you on another airline to get here. So I got here. It was a little bit late. Um, found my hotel around 1, 1.30. So... It's really, oh, and when they book you on another flight, right, your luggage doesn't follow you. (laughs) My wife of 34 years picked out a jacket for me to wear, and it's not this one. (laughs) So this is as it comes today. Is that all right? (laughs) Yeah. Funny, it wasn't, I get to the airport here, and I go right out, still has my name, says slot number 33, I go to 33, I'm pulled out to, to the guard station, and they have those really sharp things you can't drive over, and he said, I give him your driver's license, he says, I can't print out your r- rental contract. I said, okay, um, what would you like me to do? He says, you're going to have to back up and go back inside the airport. I said, okay. And this is like really narrow, and it's a long ways to back up the car. Clear, because there's, no, there's no other way to do this. So I don't know, it's after midnight. I'm backing up a rental car. I get back in there. And wouldn't you know it, there's some guy on the counter, only one person on the counter ahead of me, but like for 15 minutes, he's like debating which car he's going to rent, how much it was, and it was kept going on and on about which car, and I thought, okay, did he decide? And finally he did. And so I get my contract printed out, I go back to the nice guy at the guard station, and give him the contract, and he says, this is the wrong car. I go, what do you mean? He says, where did you get this car? <laughs> I said, well, it was the slot they told me to go to. And he says, well, this is a Buick. You're supposed to have a Hyundai. (laughs) I'm here today. It's good to be with you. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it wasn't too long ago, though, I was on a different flight. 
And by the way, that one light that comes on on the plane that says we shouldn't fly, I'm sure there's several of those lights, really kind of reminded me of today's topic. We're talking about depression. And remember, I get all the fun topics, (laughs) depression, anxiety, stress, eating disorder. I mean, I get all the fun topics. So that one light did remind me, though, about that's the way depression works. There is a light that comes on that says, emergency, we need to do something. But some people keep going when that light keeps flashing, and, they, and then they move over to a more desperate phase in their life, and they become very desperate. And we want to avoid that. So Alaska Airlines used to, on your food, those of you that remember from a few years ago, on your food trays, they would put out these little cards. I laminated this one, my last one. It was a, a verse card. So when you got your food tray, you got a verse this one says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, Psalms 107.1. Wonderful. I'm smiling, looking down at my food and my food. Because, you know, how often in an airline, well, you get food, and then they give you a verse, right? How, how strange is that? So I'm kind of all smiles. The flight attendant said, you know, what, what are you all smiles about? I said, well, I think it's really neat. There's a verse. She says, I'll come back to you, because it wasn't uh, not everybody's so happy about this. So she comes back to me. She says, let me tell you what happened on a recent flight. She says, this person wasn't all smiles like you. They were making a scene in, about this verse being on their food tray and getting loud. And it's like, why is this on my food tray? And she's up, this lady's upset. So the flight attendant is going to calm things down, Right. And uh, she said to the lady, says, well, ma'am, it's, it's a verse from the Old Testament. We try to cover everyone, you know, <laughs> Old Testament, cover everybody. And she, this lady did not solve it for her. She says, well, you didn't cover me. She says, I'm an atheist. And, and so the flight attendant's looking down at this card and, and then flips the card over, which it's blank on the back side. He says, oh, yes, we did, ma'am. <laughs> uh, I don't, right? And I don't know what happened from there, but... Be prepared with an answer, right? <laughs> yeah. Depression. Now, I have to tell you, it, it's been, well, we're on our 31st year. Uh, we're at the center, a place of hope. And I really, truly, truly am still passionate about the work that we do because I do see lives change. If a person's struggling with depression, now we all know somebody in our family, a loved one. I just want to acknowledge at the very beginning today that that's a tough place to be. Because sometimes we don't know what to say, we don't know how to help, we feel like we've done everything, we don't know what to do. And for whatever reason, a person who's in this deep struggle, and at times it can be an up and down struggle, because depression can mean a lot of different things. You know? um, and there's a lot of different, if you will, a lot of different flavors of depression, my goodness. And we have a lot of different titles and diagnoses, and it gets kind of, Wow. In fact, the World Health Organization says by year 2020, which is coming up, that depression will be the number one, they call it a disease in the world. Now, that's higher than heart disease, that's higher than cancer, 
They're saying depression worldwide is going to be an epidemic, and I think we see that already, really. The number one thing that people come and see us for ultimately is depression. And a lot of reasons for it, but, but it's depression. And so that's, I mean, this is not really sounding too encouraging so far, is it? I mean, we're talking about depression, and it's kind of depressing to talk about it. You think, but here's, here's what they used to do. Here's a little history. It actually, if you, if you struggle with depression or you know somebody, we're living in the right time. I'll tell you why. Um, if you lived in ancient Greece, they had a little treatment involved two priests. So this is more than just a confession. The priest, and there's a name for this, but, and so if you were depressed and you weren't coming out of it, the belief was it's something we need to scare out of you. And so there was a, and you'll see this theme kind of carried throughout history. We've got to scare this out of this person. So um, the, there'd be a priest on the upper, on the cliff up above. There'd be a priest down in like a little rowboat down below the water. And so it took two priests. And the, what they would do is you're at the edge of the cliff, whatever the priest says, and he pushes you off. And the priest down below was supposed to rescue you and pull you in the little boat. Don't really know how often that happened, but the, but the theory was, and I'm sure they used some Old Testament scripture, <laughs> the theory was to scare this out of you. It was something we had to scare out of you. So see what I mean? We live in good times now. Now, the Middle Ages, particularly in Europe, there was um, a treatment for depression that um, they would actually put you on a, it was a spinning bench or a spinning stool type apparatus. And again, there was a name for this treat. This is treatment for depression. And they would spin you and spin you and spin you. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you know, I'd say, I'm not depressed anymore. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to come out of it pretty quick, aren't you? <laughs> but the, the, they would spin you and part of the cure was they would spin you so much until blood came out of your ears. And that meant it was, it was out of you, getting out of you. Yeah. So, um, okay, good news. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> and then we had, this, this happened, uh, not, you know, in history, not that long ago, 1806. There's a story about a depressed attorney. <laughs> this could go a lot of different ways, but... Um, this was a, a, a treatment at that time for depression, and it was a kind of a water treatment. It was, they used icy water in a bucket, and what they do is they put your head in the bucket, hold you down, you can't breathe, and pull you back up, put you, and up and down. So that was a treatment for depression, the icy bucket breathing contest. And I don't know what happened to the attorney if he pulled out of it, or if he sued him, or <laughs> whatever. But that was a treatment for depression. And then in Austria, now this isn't that long ago, 1949, early 50s, we started doing the chemical intervention. And, and one of the first was, and you know guinea pigs got, guinea pigs always get it, guinea pigs and monkeys. So the guinea pigs, what they would do, they would purposely scare guinea pigs. Get, get, can you get a scary guinea pig? Scare up and, and, and make guinea, get guinea pigs really anxious. And then they were experimenting with different types of, uh, in essence, drugs. And one of them was lithium. And they would give these guinea pigs lithium and it would calm them down. 
So we went from guinea pigs to humans. And today, what's, what, if I'm depressed, what's, what's the number one thing I do? I take something, right? We're no longer trying to get it out of you. Now we're taking things to, to treat it. And I just want to share with you today that I believe there are answers and solutions for depression and anxiety, or I wouldn't be doing, frankly, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing. Uh, I, I would have to find something else to do. Because if we can look at this as one big puzzle with lots of different pieces, my wife is one of those people that does puzzles, you know, the thousand piece and these puzzles, and then spends, you know, whatever time to do these puzzles, and they're on the kitchen table, and, and you know, you just get the puzzle done so we can have the table back. Um, but it's like, you know, it's always those last few pieces to the puzzle that are kind of difficult to figure out, and then she gets it done, and then takes it apart and puts it away. Now, guys, guys, we think different. We do like laminate it, glue it, keep it together, right? I don't want to do that again. What's, what's, what's the joy of doing the puzzle over and over? So I look at depression as really, it's, it's finding the pieces to the puzzle. You know, if we look, speaking of the Old Testament, we look back to, to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and you know, he's known as the weeping prophet. Now, we've got some characters in the, in the scriptures that probably by today's standard would be diagnosed as some of them depressed, and they might have a few other diagnoses. Um, but he was the weeping prophet. He lost his people. He lost the city he loved. Jeremiah lost everything. And yet we read in Jeremiah, and it's, it's our theme verse, and it's actually on our wall as you walk into our facility, Jeremiah 29, 11, that we know what it says, but it says that you have a future and a hope, and God has promised that. That's what we believe with, with depression. We believe, and we're going to stand on that foundation of a future and a hope. Now, how do we get hope? Well, hope, we know, comes usually when we have a plan, right? We've got to have a plan for hope. Otherwise, we get really disappointed. It's like at Christmas time. Here we are. My, my kids, two boys, we did something different this year. Because, you know, usually you ask, well, hey, give us your Christmas list. <laughs> Actually, I never remember to ask that. My wife does. Um, give us your Christmas list. But she did something new this year. She says, we're just going to get, we're going to do something different. Um, everybody's just going to pick one gift. One gift. And um, so, Okay. My oldest boy, who's a senior in high school, he's older, and he gets it. Oh, right, one gift, good. My eighth grader, Benjamin, um, he turns in his list. And, and it's a list. It's not one, one gift on the wish list. It's, um, it's got from mom and dad, a gift, a gift from Santa, a gift from Rudolph, a gift from... He's got it all listed out. Oh, Jack Frost was on his... Here's a gift from Jack Frost. He was covering all the bases. He was... Well, they just said mom and dad one gift, not everybody else. And, you know, so, right? So everybody's got their, their little twist here. And Benjamin is, is our left-handed. You know, if you're left-handed, we've got some left-handers here. You guys are special. Because I know, because that left hand in your brain works in a certain way. And it, it's, it's cool. He reminds me constantly, by the way, of all the benefits of being left-handed. 
um, and, and he will say, Dad, I'm left-handed. Here's what, here's, and he'll give me all the benefits. So as we look at depression, I also just want to say this really, truly um, respectfully, but it, it, it's a real struggle, and I, and I don't want to take it lightly because I know there's a lot of pain, and it can be something that we feel like we've done everything we know to do, and we've prayed, and we've prayed. And I had a guy in my office not long ago, and he looked depressed, and this is what happens to you. And I remember what he said. He says, I've gotten to the point where it just takes energy to breathe. And that's the place of, of desperation. It, if it just takes energy to breathe, you're depleted. And, and those are, can be some scary places because when we stay in those places, sometimes uh, we feel like we're unlovable and God doesn't love us. So we feel like maybe it's our fault. And if you've struggled with a loved one who's been depressed, it's like, well, you know, we start blaming ourselves or we start thinking, what if I would have done so? And it just creates a lot of uncertainty in our life. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that today. That depression creates a lot of uncertainty, and sometimes God can feel far, far away. And I get that. But let's take as our pillar a future and a hope. And we had a privilege of working with a six-year-old girl who some had called the world's youngest anorexic. Now, I mentioned I get all the fun topics. Some of my earlier work was, was with eating disorders, because I, I, we wanted to create a whole person approach. How do you treat this? And how do you treat chemistry? How do you treat the emotions? How do you treat the spiritual side? How do you really treat this? What's, and to build a whole person approach. So word got out about the work we were doing with eating disorders, and we don't normally work with six-year-olds. Um, that's not our age group. But this family had taken this little six-year-old to a couple different hospital programs, one hospital program, if you can, and this is just a girl for whatever reason, was just choosing not to eat. This wasn't eating. And so obviously, and her family loved her. The family was pretty intact. It wasn't a, wasn't a family where there was addiction or abuse. It was, it was just a little girl and, quote, a normal family that was choosing not to eat. And if you've seen the pictures of National Geographic, you know, we used to see those with the starving kids on the front. That's kind of how she looked. And at one program, one hospital they had gone to, uh, they actually put her in a straitjacket. So in a bed, you know how straitjackets work? They where they tie your arms like this and tie you down and your feet are tied down, and they force fed her. And did that work? No. Uh, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult, people don't change when... By force. And, but yet, the obvious was she needs to eat. We're going to force her to eat. Well, that didn't work. And so she had uh, been IV nourished, um, you know, the nasal tube where she was fed through that w way. And the family came to us and says, Will you consider taking her? So our team huddles and we pray and put some things in place because we want to make sure medically she's. Okay, and she's with us. And one assignment was just get into her world, get down on your hands and knees. We had a special room where we would be with her. 
and just enter her world. Make as much eye contact as you can. Just, just be with her. And uh, things weren't going very well. They were not going well at all. And in fact, we were going, okay, she's going to be um, needing the hospital pretty quick. I'm driving home, and this is what we do when, we, when we're struggling with depression. Pray for wisdom. Lord God, show me what I need to know. And on my way home, and the, the place is still there, there's a veterinarian office. And they had a big sign up that said, free kittens. Uh, it was probably 6 p.m. I pulled in, and the kittens were gone except for the runt. And the vet was there, and he, you know, he brings out this little kitten. And it's one of those that you could put on the palm of your hand, the runt. And he says, and it kind of looks more like a little mouse than a kitten, you know, you know kind of that kind of kitten. And it looks kind of sad. So he says, it's going to probably die. And I said, perfect, it's the one I want. (laughs) (laughs) It's all he had to. Um, (laughs) Nobody else had chose this little kitten. So I get the kitten. He gives me a tube of sugary whatever it is. I take this, I go back, and I say to this little girl, sweetheart, your job is to keep this kitten alive. Keep it alive. And she did. She tube feed it. She pet it, pet it, pet it, and pet it, and pet it. In fact, we kind of had a little joke that, you know, she's going to rub the fur off that kitten because <laughs> she's pet- touching it and holding it and petting it so much. Day three, we're in the room with her, or a, ca- a counselor's in the room with her, the kitten, and this little girl raises up and says, I'd like some food. Right? And this counselor is so startled, um, and we still work together. He came out, found me, and says, she asked for food. What shall I do? (laughs) I was like, because nobody could ever remember her asking for food. Uh, Well, go back in, ask her what she wants. Well, what she wanted was uh, Pop-Tarts, I think was at the top of the list. Probably not a food, but we, we, we went with it. So we got her everything she wanted, sat down, and she's eating with the kitten and enjoying the Pop-Tarts, and people are sitting in amazement that she's eating. And time goes along, just kept eating every day. There was no question about eating. What we discovered later, and this is how God works and how God used a runt of a kitten (coughs) to probably save a little girl's life, Um, But what we found out later was that touch, all that touch was releasing the growth hormone. She actually had a deficiency of the human growth hormone. And so that had never been looked at. And obviously all the touch with the little uh, kitten was releasing the growth hormone for the kitten as well. And that's what touch does. That's why in hospitals now when there's premature babies, they're put on a touch uh, cycle where ever so often then they're, they're stroked and because it releases the growth hormone. And God taught us through this little girl who did great. And by the way, there was a decision to make about what to do when it was time to go back home. Ironically, she was from Alaska. Uh, when it was time to go back home, the family was, well, what do we do with this kitten, right? I said, please take it. Um, they said, no, we're gonna, we'll get her a kitten or when we go back home if that's you know, what she'd like. And, and she decided, no, this kitty needs to stay here. So that kitty stayed and ended up 
over time producing way too many kittens. <laughs> because what everybody wanted was they wanted one of her, one of this, off the litter, off this kitten, to use it as a therapy cat. So somewhere out there, there's a whole bunch of these therapy cats that have been... Um, and we actually, my, my Benjamin actually has one of the offsprings today from this kitten. It still lives at our house. <laughs> God will reveal unique ways to bring us about what we need to know. And that's why I say it's a puzzle and there's pieces and God loves us, whether we feel lovable or not. And there, there are many different pieces to that puzzle. One of the emotional pieces that I see a fair amount is just the issue of, of forgiveness in a person's life. Sometimes it's a lot of just self-forgiveness. Uh, it's a person that doesn't feel like they're lovable. And, and there's things that emotionally have been all packed in there that over time have added up to where I don't feel worthy of. And maybe then there's chemistries that are off. So I want to say there's a lot of different reasons why a person may struggle with anxiety or depression. And the biggest thing they don't need from us is they don't need us to judge them. They don't, and because if they could get better, they would have, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody sets off as a life goal, I'm going to live a life of depression. It's like nobody sets off to have a goal of I'm going to be an addict or I'm going to be an alcoholic. Or, I mean, we don't set those as our goals. Um, so there's always, always a solution. And I, I just want to, because I know we know people and they need that word of hope and they need to know Jeremiah 29, 11 stands true for them. There is a future and there is a hope for them and we are not going to give up. And we're going to find those pieces. We're going to pray for those pieces, that, the puzzle that need to come together. One of the things that you probably noticed that depression really affects is sleep. By the way, uh, I used to work in sleep research as a student. Um, I was what they would have called a research assistant, uh, which is a nice word for the young person that gets to stay up all night and watch other people in the sleep lab. You know, I was just, I thought, great job. By the way, I did this job for two years. And at the University of Washington, the sleep laboratory, I thought, by the way, because my job was put the electrodes on their head, which we do a lot differently now, and put electrodes on their head because you had to glue them on and mess up their hair, and put a, a thing around so you can measure breathing and oxygen. So that's all I had to do with these sleep subjects. Um, and then I could just sit there and study. My main job, this is back before digital was to, you know, the graph paper would come off, and I just had to make sure it was all pretty stack, because when the researcher came in in the morning after having a good night's rest, um, it'd all be ready for the researchers to look at what went on during the night on this person's sleep. Now, the sleep laboratory. Next to it was the primate lab, the monkeys. Okay, that was on the left side. On the other side was the big room of cadavers for the medical students. Cadavers have a particular smell, if I can just say it. Kind of a formaldehyde smell. So I'm in the middle with sleep subjects, and I think besides the janitor, it's just me, the monkeys, sleep subjects, and the cadavers in the building. Isn't that weird? Don't you wonder about the guy who designed the floor plan? About 
He probably had a sleep disorder himself. Who would design this this way? But that's the way it was. So I understand the desperation with sleep. Because, you know, you've, we've all had this. You've, you see a tree in the road, and it's really not in the road because you haven't slept, and you start to see things, and you become very desperate. Depression is that. We become very desperate. So I, I remember one night actually going next door into the room with the cadavers. Because I was going to lay down for 15 minutes, right? Because I was so desperate for sleep. And I, I had went next door, went in there, and of course the light's off. And I, but I find a, an empty cot. Empty. <laughs> Nobody else was on it. <laughs> I, I was desperate, but not that desperate. So I lay down on an empty cot in a room full of cadavers. And I didn't have a smartphone then, nothing to wake me up. I'm laying there, and I'm asleep. Some point during the night, the janitor comes in the room. The janitor flips on the light switch. It wakes me up. I jump off the cot. I take off running out of the room. The janitor is screaming. Screaming. And uh, honestly, I've never seen, that, seen him since then. I, I don't know what happened to him. But I go next to the next room, because, you know, he had never seen a cadaver get up. <laughs> it, was, it was a big night. So, and I go into the room, and wouldn't you know it, this is the night that all that paper, graph paper, was all over the floor. And so I spend the rest of my time putting that and lining that up. And... I can't believe that I did that. that when you, I even when I share this with you, that I would even do that. But, you know, sometimes depression's that way. We get so desperate. We will do anything, anything, and we will cry out to God, much like you know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, crying out and looking. And, and yet, as we read more about what Jeremiah did, he said, but yet I will trust. But yet I will trust. And if we go to, we're kind of looking towards the Old Testament right now, but if we look at Lamentations, the book of Jeremiah, I mean, it was pretty depressing. I mean, it was like, wow. But when it comes to it, his bottom line was, but yet I will trust. So, yet I will trust. For the six-year-old girl that for whatever reason wasn't eating, for the guy that was in my office in his 50s who says, I... I'm at the end. It just takes energy to breathe. For the person who has struggled with depression their entire life and don't know why, and they've tried everything they know to try, except maybe they didn't jump off a cliff. And we know that with teenagers right now, teenagers and depression, it's huge. And if the World Health Organization is right about this becoming the number one, quote, disease in the world, we're in a unique position to to be there, and to care. And, you know, everybody needs three things if they're struggling from depression. Number one, they need a sense of acceptance. No matter what, I need to feel a sense of acceptance. There was some interesting research done a while back by the, the, 
the Gottmans, which have done a lot of their Jewish researchers on relationships, but they boiled it down to, to three simple things that every human being needs, and, and one was acceptance. Um, they may use other psychological terms, but ultimately what we're saying is a person needs a sense of acceptance, which means I need to know that I have value. Somehow I still matter. And the other thing that I need, and a person who's struggling, they need to have a sense of, of being understood. Even though I don't understand what's going on myself, I need a sense of understanding. I need a sense that, that, I, feel, that I feel understood. Um, and as we look at these basic human needs, isn't that interesting in a relationship? Doesn't it mean a lot to go, okay, I feel understood? Like I can, I can in a relationship as we know, marriage or other close relationships, we don't have to agree on everything. In fact, I hope we don't. But if we have a sense of, of understanding, that I feel understood, I feel heard, I feel affirmed. And affirmed is the third Human, basic human need, we need to have a sense of, of affirmed, which ultimately means that I do have a purpose. There is a purpose. And this struggle that I'm going through, there is a purpose. Um, a few years ago, it's been four years, um, our family came through some challenges with cancer with my wife, and there was some times where it was looking worse, not better, and worse, and not better, and wondering what in the world is, where is this going? Because one of the things with depression is the unknown, right? I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. And that we are going to do this and weather this together. I don't know where it's going. Um, and things are good now. But um, there we had our dark days. And I had two boys that were wondering if their mom was going to be around. I know what that's like. Um, and one of the things today that a person who's struggling with depression needs, and I say depression, it could be anxiety, but it's a deep darkness that's in their life. Besides prayer and a prayer of wisdom and those three things, acceptance, um, they need affirmation, they need a sense of feeling understood, um, but they need to know that we will believe in them. It was one guy, I, I struggled some, particularly in junior high, uh, I, I struggled. I didn't, I didn't do well. Uh, I wasn't doing well socially. And my parents uh, kind of located, I guess, at the time we didn't call it a mentor, but a person that would uh, speak into my life. Ultimately, as this person got to know me, and I thought this person was very, very peculiar because this person had a, a glass eye. I'm a teenager, and my parents picked this person to help me. <laughs> he looked odd. But over time, he got to know me, and he started saying a few things to me. And one of the things he kept saying, he kept saying, Greg, I, I believe in you. And he would stretch me and stretch me. And, you know, it was my senior year in high school that that because of his belief in me, I, I ended up being outstanding student of the year from one that was down there. And he encouraged me in things that I never, ever believed I could do. One was running and cross-country running. And so he told me uh, to run this particular race. I go, I'm not a runner. I don't know what, 
And he says, Greg, Greg, I believe in you. And I did. I got in line probably towards the last minute. I made plans. I was going to run this run just because he said that. And I couldn't let him down. And I remember as a senior in high school running this run. You've seen, uh, what's the movie, Run, Forest, Run, or Forest Gump? That was kind of like that. I just ran and ran and ran, and I honestly did not know that I was the first one to cross the finish line. I did not realize it, because all I was doing was running. But he said, I believe in you. And it wasn't that long ago that my eighth, eighth grader son, he would have been in seventh grade, we had a little snow in Seattle, had a little break from rain. We had a little snow in Seattle. <laughs> it really doesn't rain in Seattle. But we had a little, little break, and it was snowy. And I was leaving in the morning, um, and he was still in his PJs. It was earlier. But I remember he ran out, as I'm pulling out of the driveway, he ran out to the car in the snow, in his pajamas, in his bare feet, and pounded on my window and startled, startled me. And he said, Dad, I believe in you. And did that change my day? Totally. So keep believing. Keep believing. And sometimes God will send it through some remarkable ways. And boy, are you blessed to have the pastor team of Darren and Tracy here. Blessed. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And there is real, at times, Lord, just deep, deep struggles that we need a healing touch. Lord, I just pray wisdom, pray for wisdom for those or those that we know who are struggling, that there would be, we can enter in the new year with a sense of hope that there's, there's pieces of that puzzle that can come together and that will come together. And we ask for that coming together, those pieces, Lord. Um, we need you. We absolutely have to have you to do this. And uh, thank you for answering prayer. In Jesus' name.